Well, good morning, Faith family. I want to say hello to those in Lakeville and to our venue as well. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1? Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I want to say I'm very encouraged that you came back after last week, okay? Uh, I, I thought I might be the only one here, to be honest. Uh, we're in a series that we're calling The Search, and we're going through a book in the Bible that, quite honestly, a lot of people ignore and avoid because it forces you to deal with an honest uh, reality check about about life in a fallen world. And so we're going through a series where we're calling us to be honest about life because everybody, everybody, for those of you here in Burnsville, for those of you in Lakeville, everybody's searching for meaning. Uh, I came across a, uh, a real uh, story about the University of Wyoming uh, that there was a course a few years ago that was offered called Interstellar Message Composition. This isn't a punchline to a joke. It was an actual course designed to teach people how to communicate with aliens, right? No, it was not a class on parenting teenagers. It was a real class on how to communicate with aliens. And what was interesting to me, one of the assignments that the professor gave was he asked the students to describe, if they were to communicate with other life, to describe this group of people, human beings, in 10 words or less. And one student wrote, this was fascinating, quote, we are an adolescent species searching for our identity. We're an adolescent species searching for our identity. And that's true. You see, every one of us is searching for answers. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for something to live for. And that's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes is teaching us about. Where is meaning found in life in a fallen world. And so we're going to pick back up where we left off last week. Uh, we had an introduction, and now I want us to get into several of the verses here. So if you're able to stand in all our locations, please stand for the reading of God's Word, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and let's look at verse 2. Word of God says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything in which it is said this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after this is God's Word, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a book like Ecclesiastes that helps us in our search for where meaning is found because everybody here today is on that search, whether they know it or not. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us as we look to your Word, and may the questions of our life be ultimately answered 
in the truth that you have given us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Morning. Uh, see the groundhog? Yeah. I think it'll be an early spring. Didn't we do this yesterday? I don't know what you mean. Ah! Don't mess with me, Porkchop. <sighs> what day is this? It's February 2nd. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Sorry. You know, I thought it was yesterday. <laughs> oh. Well, Mr. Connors? Did I sleep well? Would you like some coffee? Yes, please. I think I'll have a double. I hope you enjoy the festivities. There's talk of a blizzard. Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. No, that's okay. Thank you. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. 75, 80. Excuse me. Excuse me. Where's everybody going? To Gobbler's Knob. It's Groundhog Day. It's still just once a year, isn't it? Now, my guess is that most of you have seen the movie Groundhog Day with uh, Bill Murray. Uh, if not, you should. It is a classic comedy. But if for some reason you live under a rock and you have never seen that movie, uh, it's about a weatherman by the name of Phil Connors. Uh, he's been assigned to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for all the Groundhog Day festivities. And what happens is he gets trapped by a snowstorm and he starts reliving the same day over and over and over again until he eventually concludes that he's stuck. He is stuck in this ongoing cycle forever. And as he begins to realize this, his perspective on life begins to be impacted. It starts to change. At one point in the movie, he asks this, quote, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same? And nothing you did mattered. It sounds like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? Because it is. And at another point, he's asked about tomorrow, and this is what he says. Quote, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. And then probably my favorite is when he's asked, because he's a weatherman, he's asked to give a weather prediction, and this is what he says. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off, waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. Probably like they used to mean something in this town. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites, all of you. You got a problem with what I'm saying, Larry? Untie your tongue and you come out here and talk, huh? Am I upsetting you, princess? You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong, Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold, 
grave. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. I love it. I absolutely love it. Here's what he says. You want a prediction? Oh, I'll give you a prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you the rest of your life. It sounds like Minnesota. I mean, Ecclesiastes, right? <laughs> Except for July, right? It's just like Ecclesiastes. Now, why is he so, why is he so down? Why is he so depressed? Why such hopelessness? Is he just in a bad mood? Does he hate groundhogs? After all, Bill Murray has had a past with furry little animals, right? This is not his first go around. But why is he so depressed? Here's why. Everybody listen. It's because he's convinced that he's stuck in an endless cycle. If every day is the same thing over and over and over again, if that's the case, what's the point? And my guess is, if you would be honest with me this morning, you have felt that way before. Maybe not to the level uh, that's illustrated in that movie, but you have felt this way at some point. For some of you, you do the same job every day. Every day you cut hair. Every day you get on an airplane. Every day you work on a car. Every day you do the same thing, and sometimes you struggle getting up in the morning doing the same thing again and again, for some of you, it's the same chores, right? Anybody with me? You mow the grass and it grows back. And you wash the dishes and they get dirty again. And you clean the house in like five seconds. It's messy again. And doing the same chores over and over again gets old. Some of you have lived in the same hometown all your life. Some of you have never been outside Minnesota. There are some of you, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is honestly how some people feel. You've been married to the same person for 20, 30, 50 years, and it's just routine. You're just going through the motions of married life. See, here's what happens to all of us. We laugh at Groundhog Day, but this is a true reality of life. When we feel like the rent cycle of our life has been stuck on repeat, it's very easy to lose a little hope. And that's exactly, faith family, what we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now, before we dive into this text, I want to set the stru structure up again. Now, the detailed version of the structure is last week, right? If you weren't here, you can go online and you can listen to it for free. It's worth what you'll pay for it. You can pick up a CD out in the front as well. I'm just going to remind you what I'm arguing in terms of the structure of this book, all right? That the book is structured this way. There is a narrator who I believe is a father. He speaks in third person, the preacher says, or the words of the preacher. So he's the narrator, and he's teaching his son, based on Ecclesiastes chapter 12, wisdom, this is wisdom literature, wisdom in life, particularly life in a fallen world. And he's using a main character by the name of Koheleth. That's his name. It's the Hebrew name found here in Ecclesiastes chapter one. Now you may believe it's Solomon and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't change the point of the text. I don't believe it's Solomon. It's a man named Koheleth. 
And he's a Solomon-like figure, someone of great power, someone of great wealth. And if he can't find meaning, no one can. And the father will use Coelith and his journey, his search for meaning, to teach his son about wisdom in life in a fallen world. Coelith, his name means one who assembles. That's why it's translated the preacher. He's not a preacher, all right? His name simply means one who assembles like a teacher or a preacher would. And he is a wise man who has an honest look at life. And here's his conclusion, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, says Koheleth, that's his name. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So his conclusion, in fact, it's 38 times in this book, so there's no denying what Koheleth's ultimate point is. His point is this, everything, everything is completely and utterly meaningless. Now listen, he's not saying that it's not good. He's not saying that it's not enjoyable. He's simply saying it's not worth living for. It can't answer life's ultimate question. It can't ultimately satisfy the soul. It it, it doesn't ultimately bring meaning. Now remember, he is not in a bad mood. He's not a pessimist, as you're going to think he is. He's not an atheist. There was no such thing in the ancient Near East. He is, and I will keep reminding you of this, he's a wise man who has come to some rational conclusions based on his analysis of life. Real quick, here's why I love the book, and I've been having some conversations with people about this, is this is exactly the way many outside these walls and inside these walls are struggling with life. These are the questions they're asking. These are the conclusions that they're coming to, and we need to be able to answer that. And God has given us this book to be able to do that. It's been interesting to me how just after one week of this series, I'm already getting emails. I'm already having conversations with people saying, Pastor, I resonate with this. Because at some point, you're going to go through a season of life when life doesn't make sense. Amen? And you're going to be searching for answers in that moment. Well, Coelho's answer, his conclusion is, it's meaningless, and here's why. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So here's why everything is ultimately meaningless, according to Coelho. It's because you don't gain anything. There is no gain in life. Now, you would say, I disagree with that. There's a lot of gain in life, right? You you gain memories. You gain friendships. You gain family. You gain money, right? You gain things. And Coelith would say to you, you simpletons, right? Would you be rational for just a moment? You get things, but you don't gain anything, Let me illustrate it this way. If any of you have ever done any investing or if you've talked to like a financial advisor, here's what they will tell you. Uh, if, If a stock or a mutual fund or something that you own goes up, you haven't really gained anything. If it goes down, you haven't really lost anything. You don't gain anything or lose anything until you do what? Sell. That's right. So if it goes up, didn't gain anything unless you sell it. If it goes down, you didn't lose anything unless you sell it. It's selling that then reveals whether or not you have lost or gained. So here's Coelho's point. I need you right here. 
the closing bell on the stock market of life is death. And at that point, everything's back to zero. You don't take your memories with you. You don't take your family with you. You don't take your money with you. So let's get this right. Let's be rational. You will get things, and they may be good things, but when the final bell sounds, you will not have gained anything for all the toil in your life. See, he's not depressing. You may think he's depressing. He's rational. He said, because we know this. Doesn't the Bible teach us? Like, we don't take anything with us. You've heard that expression before, right? And that's all Coelith is saying. You're not going to gain when you sell, when life is finally done. And so in that sense, it's meaningless, right? Here's his equation. Like it or not, here's his equation. I love it, by the way. I love this book. I'm just that weird, all right? Here's his equation. Death makes everything temporary, do you see? That's true. Death makes everything temporary, therefore everything must be meaningless. It's not that it's not good, it's not that it's not enjoyable, but it can't bring your life meaning because, listen, temporary things can't satisfy the longing of the soul. That was a great place for an amen, and you missed it, all right? (laughs) Temporary things can't satisfy the longing of the soul. That's all Coelith is saying. Now, It's not just because of death that makes life meaningless. There's another reason, and that is this. You're wondering, like, why all the groundhog stuff? Um, Coelith is saying that in between life and death, you are stuck in an endless cycle. You are, whether you know it or not, Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. You're stuck in this endless cycle of life. In fact, how many of you, I'm just curious, have one of these in your home? Show of hands, right? Lakeville venue, you play along as well. How many have a treadmill, right? Satan's sidewalk, right? It's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. How many of you, how many of you have one of these at home? They are awesome for hanging clothes on and putting your laundry. Amen. That's right. Don't no, amen. I'll get all day. All right. Um, how many of you get on one of these at a gym? Anybody? Okay. Um, how many of you, like if you exercise, this is your favorite form of exercise? You'd rather be on a treadmill as do anything. Anybody? A couple of you. How many of you would rather run outside if you're going to run where there's scenery? Okay, more hands there. How many of you are like, what's exercise? Right? Don't raise your hand on that, okay? But I want you to think about this treadmill, okay? I'm going to exercise a little bit while I'm, uh, while I'm preaching, as if I didn't burn enough calories while I'm preaching. We'll do this. This is the illustration. It's the metaphor of the text. So you're going to remember this passage simply because of this. Now, I'm not going to go real fast. I don't want to fly off the back here, okay? Well, here's what Coelith is saying. Life is a treadmill, And if you would just be honest, if you would take an honest assessment at the life around you, you would come to this same conclusion. And what happens on a treadmill is you turn it on, you run or you walk, you sweat, you burn calories, you know, it feels like you're making progress, doesn't it? It feels like you're going somewhere, but what happens when I stop? I'm right where I started. It's a treadmill. Now, notice how that's the metaphor in this passage. Look at verse 4. He talks about the treadmill of humanity. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. In other words, humanity's a treadmill. 
A generation comes and a generation goes. Whether you know it or not, you're like shark teeth. Did you know this about shark teeth? When one falls out, another one grows back. Another one falls out and it grows back. Another one falls out and it grows back, right? He's saying that's what your life is. You look around, for some of you, there's not as many people left in your generation. Some of you, the, um, the class reunion is getting smaller and grayer or no hair, right? It's changing. Some of you, you look around and you realize you're the only sibling left in your family. That's because you're being replaced. Whether you like it or not, you're going to eventually go and somebody else is going to come behind you. It's the treadmill of humanity. Now, the wrinkles on your face, the pictures on the wall will say you've traveled lots of miles. It will feel like you've gone somewhere, but you haven't. You're simply on a treadmill. Notice the next treadmill. It's the treadmill of creation, verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. So think about the sun. It comes up in the morning, at least you hope. It fights all day long until it finally sets. It comes up again, goes all day long until it sets. And it does this over and over. It's on a, say it with me, treadmill. Look at the next verse. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. So think about the wind. It blows and it blows and blows and blows, and you've never heard a weatherman say, the forecast is next week, we're going to run out of wind. <laughs> never heard that. It just keeps going on its cycle. Look at the next one, verse 7. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. So think about water evaporates from the ocean, goes over the mountain, rains, comes down into the rivers, and goes back to the ocean. And it keeps this cycle going over and over. It's on a treadmill. And you would say, ah, but seasons change, right? I mean, we're in fall, and it's eventually going to be winter. And then it's going to be spring. See, there's change. And then it's going to be summer, and then it's going to be fall and winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer. Don't you see? All of creation, if you just be honest and look at it, is telling you you're on a treadmill. Notice the last one. I'm not even tired yet. The treadmill of life. I should be. Verse 9. The treadmill of life. Is there anything at which is said, I'm sorry, verse 9, what has, been, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You're on repeat. Think of it this way. You're born in a hospital with no teeth, and you're wearing diapers, and somebody's waiting on you around the clock. At the end of life, what happens? You lose your teeth. They make you wear diapers. Someone's waiting on you around the clock until you finally die in a hospital. And in between, you pay bills, and the bills come back. You mow grass, and the, mat, the grass grows back. Your kids move out, <laughs> and your kids move back. You were ahead of me on that one, right? Whether you like it or not, this is the treadmill of life. Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. 
and it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pipe belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and the wife retired to Fort Lauderdale. Start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? In the 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling with some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> Now, why are you laughing? You're laughing because you know it's true. Now, I want to make sure I cover all age spectrums here. And so here's the animated version. All right, now that song's going to be in your head the rest of the day, all right? And you're welcome, by the way. Well, what's the point here? It's exactly what the text is telling us. Coelith is saying, if you would take an honest look at humanity, if you take an honest look at creation, if you would take an honest look at just life, what you would come to the conclusion is that you are stuck in an endless cycle. That the things that you were told as a kid, like I read my kids, you know, deep theology like Dr. Seuss, you know, oh, the places that you will go, you'll be on your way up, you'll be seeing great sights, you'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights, you won't lag behind because you'll have the speed, you'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. And wherever you go, you'll top all the rest. And Coelith says, no, you won't. No, you won't. It'll feel like it. It'll feel like you've gone somewhere. But the reality is you are on a treadmill. And you are stuck in an endless cycle, and because you are stuck in an endless cycle, there are some things you're going to have to come to grips with. Number one, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to be fulfilled. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, if we're stuck in an endless cycle of life and everything is at best temporary, no wonder we're never truly satisfied. 
Have you ever watched a good movie? Have you ever, ever enjoyed a good meal or seen a, a beautiful sunset? What happens is you end up having to do that over again because they don't last. You enjoy the meal, but then you have to eat again. You enjoy the sunset, but it eventually goes down and you have to see it again. Think of it this way. How many of you, if your sports team, just play along, won the championship, would be satisfied with that? Or would you, like every sports fan, want them to win it again the next year? Just one is fine, I know, yeah. In Minnesota, we'll take one. <laughs> From the guy in a Vikings jersey, right? That's <laughs> so good, right? But it's true. Listen, listen. Life is like a Chinese buffet. Eat all you want, but give it 30 minutes, you'll be hungry again. It's why, if we're honest about the human condition, we always want more. A little more money, a little better job, a little shorter sermon, don't amen that, a little longer vacation, one more fish, one more game, one more drink, God, one more chance. Because we've deceived ourselves into thinking we'll eventually get enough, but we never do. Some of you will remember that classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. George struggles with the small hometown, and will this small hometown be enough for him? His small town is too small in his estimation, and he feels like if he could just have something big, if he could discover something important, then life would have meaning. In other words, George assumed, listen, that he'd find meaning somewhere other than where he was. And that's the human condition. We're stuck in an endless cycle, and because of that, we'll never ultimately be satisfied. Number two, here's what you got to come to grips with. You're never going to have a future. You love an Ecclesiastes? You're never going to have a future. Look at verse 10. Is there anything of which it is said, see, this is new? Are you kidding me? It's already been in the ages before us. Coelith is saying that the future is simply the past repeated. Now, this does not mean that there are no new inventions. Coelith is not saying there's never going to be an iPhone, right? Or, or um, my favorite invention, the Keurig machine, right? Anybody with me? I don't even know how to make a regular pot of coffee anymore. I'm like, scoops filter? Like, did Moses make coffee this way? Like, who does this? Right? No, it's just supposed to be cup, boom, coffee, right? I mean, thank you, God, for the Keurig machine, right? This is not what Coelth is saying. He's not saying there's not going to be any new inventions. He's saying this right here. In the past, there was war. In the future, there'll be war. In the past, children disobeyed their parents. In the future, guess what's going to happen? Children will disobey their parents. In the past, marriages struggled. In the future, marriages will struggle. That's all he's saying is that the future is simply the past on repeat. It's the same song, different verse. Listen, it only feels different because it's you. And in that sense, you can't really say, oh, I'll experience something new. No, you won't. And here's the third thing. 
is if you're not depressed enough, you'll eventually be forgotten. Verse 11. I love this book. Weird. I just do. It's so honest. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things. Check your margins because it may say people. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who will come after. In other words, you can sit here and say, not me. I'm going to be different. I'm going to make a difference. Coelth would say, no, you won't. You'll be born, you'll get on your treadmill, and then you'll die, and then you'll die. And either 10 years after or 10 million years after, nobody's even going to know your name. Okay? Now, I want to play a little, little game with you here. Don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. Just raise your hand. Okay, don't say it out loud. Just raise your hand. Lakeville venue, I want you to play along. Don't say it out loud. Just raise your hand. How many of you know who this is? Show of hands. I think I see one or two, three, three. Okay, last night, nobody, nobody in our Saturday night service. First service, I think I had four. First service, only had four. Do you know who that is? It's the first pastor of Berean Baptist Church. The church you're attending right now, and you don't even know who he is. Four of you. And the reality is, that's me one day. Why are you laughing at that? I don't, I don't know why you think that's funny. Of the one thing you laughed at this morning, you laughed at that. Listen, there is a day coming when they will put my picture on a screen and the collective response will be, who? Because it's true. It's not depressing. It's just being honest. How many of you know the name of your great, 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 great grandfather? Now, if you're really into ancestry, you might know that, but most of you don't because as Mark Twain said, quote, the world will lament you for an hour and forget you forever. And if you don't believe me, just look at celebrities. I'm not talking about no-name preachers like me. I'm talking about celebrities when they die. Like say, for instance, a Robin Williams. They're on TV for 10 seconds. And then on to the next story. You know it's true. Coelith is saying, if you'll just be honest about life, what you'll conclude is that life is an endless cycle. That's why you're never going to ultimately be satisfied. You're never going to really experience anything new. And you ultimately will not be remembered. So... Do the best you can while you can to enjoy what you can until it's over. Now let's pray. No, we're not ending that way, right? I do that to you often. It's like everybody's like, my heart just stopped, right? It'd be the most terrible ending of a sermon ever. So I want to ask you something, okay? And I don't want you to say this out loud. I want to ask you an honest, honest, honest question. You ready? If you were at Starbucks or Caribou or wherever you like to have coffee or tea or whatever, and you were talking to Koheleth, and he just laid all that out, what would you say? I don't answer out loud. I just want you to think, how would you answer this? What would you say, Christian? Well, but my mama and daddy taught me. Who cares? But my church, but who cares? 
What would you say? How would you answer this honest, rational look at life in a fallen world? We're going to start with this. Is he right? Is Koheleth right in his assessment of life? Here's the answer. Yes. What did he say? Yes, he's absolutely right, and his evidence is irrefutable. In fact, I'll give you one more. If you would be as honest as he is in looking at life in a fallen world, this is precisely the conclusion you should draw. Pastor, I got a problem with that. I got a real problem with that. Like, I really want to walk up on the stage and punch you because I don't like this at all. I don't know that I agree with you. Well, you don't have to take my word for it. Take the Apostle Paul's. Listen to Romans 8, verse 19. For the creation was subjected to futility. Here's why that word is important, because you can forget this later, but the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the same Greek word for vanity, Ecclesiastes 1, as Paul uses for futility in Romans 8. Meaning, Paul is using Ecclesiastes language. Creation is subjected to futility, vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption, that is death, and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, Ecclesiastes 1, has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. Why? Because it's in a repeat rent cycle. Because it's stuck in Groundhog Day. Paul says, Coelith is right. It is an endless cycle. And then you say, but whoa, 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 what's the point? Paul gives us something Coelith doesn't. He gives us, same chapter, verse 11, this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Psst. Come here. Coelith is saying life is an endless cycle, therefore it is meaningless. And Paul says, amen, he's right. It is a cycle where you're born and you die and you're born and you die and you're born and you die and seasons come and seasons go and you are like Groundhog Day stuck in that cycle. And you say, but if that's the point, where is meaning found? What if? What if in this cycle of humanity, there was a human being who broke the cycle? What if in this endless cycle of you're born and you die and you're born and you die, there was someone who also was born, who also died, but unlike anybody else, rose again? Listen, if there was somebody who broke the endless cycle, then meaning could only be found in him. 
The only way out of the endless cycle is the one who broke the cycle. I've got glorious news for you today. There is someone who has done that. His name is Jesus Christ. And so the answer of the answer is not I'm just going to put my head in the sand and act like this isn't true. It's embracing the truth of life in a fallen world with the glorious truth that Jesus came into a fallen world and can get you out. And only there is where meaning is found. Coelith is saying the grave makes life meaningless. And I'm declaring to you that the gospel says an empty grave gives life meaning. Because Jesus broke the cycle. And therefore, he's the only one who will give meaning to your routine life. So be honest with me. I'm pouring my heart out to you today. Be honest with me. Some of you are on this. And it ain't for your exercise. It's your soul. You feel stuck. Stuck in a marriage. You feel stuck in a job. You feel stuck in a routine. And you've walked in here today. You look at me. And honestly in your heart you're saying, what's the point? When everything's just the same. And you're not alone in that struggle. And I have great news for you. The hope is this. The hope in a routine life in a fallen world, is the one who broke the routine of life in a fallen world. So listen, listen, listen. Do you know Jesus? That's what it comes down to. I ain't asking about your religion. I ain't asking you for a church. I'm not asking you about what your parents believe. I'm asking you this one simple question, and you be gut-level honest with me. Do you know Jesus Christ? Because if you don't know Jesus personally, you're never going to find the answer to the questions of your life. You will be stuck in this endless cycle forever until the final bell sounds. But I'm telling you, you could have hope today. I'm telling you, you could find meaning today in Jesus. But here's another question. Some of you know know Jesus, but let me ask you, anybody like me prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Anybody prone to wonder? So my question for you is, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you loving Jesus? Are you learning more about Jesus? Because the reason why some of you are Christians, but you're frustrated, is because you've taken your eyes off Him. And take it from Coelith, your eyes ain't ever going to be satisfied with anything else. So hear me this morning. Coelith is right. He's absolutely right. Don't you dismiss Him. He's right. If this life is all there is, you will never be fulfilled. But in Jesus Christ, you will never thirst again. If this life is all there is, there is nothing new. But in Jesus, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. If this world is all there is, you will be forgotten. 
But this morning, if you're in Jesus, your name will forever be written in the Lamb's book of life. You want a prediction? I'll give you a prediction. I'll give you a certainty. If you know Jesus and you're abiding in Jesus, no matter how meaningless life will seem at times, know this, be certain of this, your future is going to be good. And it's going to be bright. And it's going to last you the rest of your eternal life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, this, this book. Thank you that it's, it's calling us to be honest about life. Thank you that these are the questions that everybody wrestles with at some point. Where is meaning found? What's the answer to life's questions? And, and my guess is everybody at some point can relate to this feeling of just being stuck on the treadmill. It's the same thing every day. And we wonder, is there hope in that? Thank you that we serve a God who loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world, into the routine. And he was born and he died, but he rose again. He broke the cycle. And therefore, meaning and hope is found in him and him alone. My prayer this morning for all that are here, for those in Lakeville, for those in Venue, that today we would know that we know Jesus Christ and in him our search be complete. In Jesus' name, amen.